Voices of VR podcast. Hello, my name is Ken Pai, and welcome to the Voices of VR podcast. It's a podcast that's looking at the structures and forms of immersive storytelling and the future of spatial computing. You can support me on Patreon at patreon.com slash Voices VR. So in today's episode, I have Andre Motorvec, who had a piece called Darkening, which was a bit of a spatial memoir that was exploring themes of depression. So you go into different experiences that he has with depression as you go into these different buildings and uh, helps to take you to different places in a virtual context that is elaborating on his own personal journey with depression. And you use your voice quite a bit within this experience. And there's also the dynamic of walking into a installation with four total different slots. So you're watching this with up to three other different people. And because you're using your voice and there's this distributed social dimension that is happening within the context of this piece where you're kind of aware of other people as they're also watching this piece because they're watching it at the same time as you. And uh, yeah, and there's also a whole offboarding of this piece where Andre, who was a director is coming out and facilitating this whole offboarding process that is facilitating a bit of a group discussion with the people who just had seen this piece. And so I think that was another big part of my experience of darkening as well. So that's what we're covering on today's episode of the Voices of VR podcast. So this interview with Andre happened on Friday, September 2nd, 2022 at the Venice Immersive in Venice, Italy. So with that, let's go ahead and dive right in. So my name is Andre and I'm here with my project Darkening, which is my first VR project, but I'm on the field already for a few years because I'm working as the VR curator or programmer for several festivals in Czech Republic. But I decided that I also want to step into the food of the filmmaking because I studied filmmaking, I studied screenwriting. So I decided that VR is the closest medium so far for me. So I decided to go on this way. Maybe you could give a bit more context as to your background and your journey into VR. Like the question, you mean why I decided to go for VR? Is because I actually it started when I was working for One World Festival. That's the festival in Prague. It's the biggest human rights film festival in the world, it says. And we started in 2015 or 16 with VR section there. It was the time when... It was like the first boom of VR and I kind of was moved to do it by our boss by the time. And I was like, okay, why not? So that was the actual beginning why I became interested in VR. And then I discovered all the possibilities which you can do, how to tell the story in VR. And I was amazed by that like immediately. So uh, yeah, so that was the beginning. And what's your background? Are you coming from like a trained as a filmmaker or what other things are you kind of bringing into the practice of making film? Yeah, before I was, as I said, so I'm, I was, or I am screenwriter. So I was mostly attached to the pen and paper, but like stepping on the road as a director was a bit new for me. But like in VR, you have a lot of collaborators and it's a very teamwork. So I felt quite good. I can't imagine much like, for example, directing live action. It would be for me quite difficult, I think, so far, maybe in the future, who knows. But here I felt quite well because I knew a lot about the medium and so on. And so, yeah, talk a bit about the process of becoming a curator to watch a lot of content and then decide what's going to be featured. And so there's a, 
an opportunity for you to immerse yourself into lots of different projects that aren't even fully distributed yet, but you still have access to see what's happening. So I'd love to hear how that came about for you. Yeah, that's a big advantage, I think, of every potential maker. Like when you're starting as a curator, so you see a lot of things and you know what other people are using and you're inspired by that or like not inspired by that at all. So that was very nice. And that was also one of like the best backgrounds for me to create darkening because I already knew a lot about what is functioning in VR, what not that much. But what was specifically interesting that in the time when we were starting to develop darkening, there were only a few projects who were at once, like as the first, dealing with the topic of the mental health. Now in 2022, we have a lot of these projects, but like three years back, there were only really few of them. And the second thing was that like there were not that many projects which would be voice controlled. So I was like, okay, a lot of people are still like feeling that they don't want to dive much into VR because they don't want to use all these controllers, things like these. So I had this idea, okay, but like we can use the voice as a, the interactive tool there. And then the puzzle started to be putting together that what could be the topic, how to make it, and so on and so on. So yeah, maybe you could give a bit more context for how the specific topic, how you decided on Tamani, the darkening, and you know, just a little bit more of a background of this project. Yeah, I decided that I want to create a project which is quite close to me. So there were a few topics which I had in mind, but what I knew from my previous experience as a curator was that what works the best in VR are some kinds of simulations and embodiments in some way. And so I had an idea, okay, it would be interesting to show the people what is it like to have depression because a lot of people were asking me, what is it like, you know, what you feel, how we cope with it. So I said, okay, it would be a nice topic for making the VR and I know a lot about that. At the beginning, I was more focused on other people's stories or searching for some protagonists. But then I found out that it would be very difficult for me to like dig into the others' heads and create the story about their depression. So then I focused on myself and that I will be the protagonist. And it was nicely connected with voice control thinking about the interactivity because by the time when we started to develop darkening I was already using my voice as a therapeutic tool so it all started to make sense and I was putting it slowly together. So as a screenwriter how did you approach constructing this piece because there are some interactive components there's a story component but then you have to actually build out the environments and so Talk about the iterative process of creating this piece and like where did you begin? Yes, it was interesting because I decided that even though that I'm a screenwriter, that I don't want to work on the script alone because as it's my own story, so I needed to have like a second eyes who will tell me what makes sense, what is interesting from the story and how to shape it. So I asked my good friend Alice, who, is, uh, who was my schoolmate at screenwriting school, so we started to write it together. The process was like, at the beginning I wrote something like short novel, which has like seven pages, not very long, and Alice was about to create some first idea, which parts from the novel could be used and transform it into some chapters in VR. 
she did it and then like we had like a first version and then we started to work on it together to shape it to you know cut it what to include what not we were starting to think more about the interactivity as well which became part of the script as well so which took us a few months let's say and that at the end we had like a pretty solid script with all the also description of the interactions then we came to make some storyboard and then talking with our 3D artists and so it started like that. Was this a tilt brush or what was the art program that you used to make the art of the piece? Actually it's uh, the 3D models are made in Blender. We decided to use the regular textures not to use tilt brush or quill because I think that the idea of quill and tilt brush is really nice and I like some of the pieces. But what's a bit problematic from my side is then that a lot of the projects look very, very similar. And also to animate some things in Quill or Tailbrush is quite complicated. So our 3D designers decided that it would be better to work in Blender and then uh, to work with the classical textures, which reminds the Tailbrush aesthetics in some way. And what was the back and forth process for building these different spaces and then what was written in the script? Because I would imagine that you want to actually be immersed into the world and maybe write. And so did you build some of the worlds and then write and just talk about that back and forth? Yeah, the iteration process was interesting. Like, I think that most of the things which were in the script also appeared in the actual final version of the film. There was just one thing which was like one of the most complicated one that the overall story should have ended that the dog will lick you goodbye and which was like a nice idea but then we found out that it's doable but that it would be super tricky because you need to track exactly the dog in front of you uh, you need to program the tongue that he's somehow really licking you and it always looked bad because the dog was crushing into you and it looked embarrassing so that's what i needed to change so at the end the dog is standing at the fountain and he's just pushing away uh, the red scarf which covers your eyes at the end which was like more easy to do it so that was like a bigger change in the script but otherwise other things were already created before for example the horse racing chapter is very interesting because i was kind of afraid of okay how how should we create it because i was all the time stuck with the fact that it really needs to look like the actual horse racing track. But then Bada, the art director, came in and she said, oh, let's do some bigger stylization. So we will be in the middle of the hippodrome and the horse will be coming from the back in front of you to the finish. And I was like, wow, that sounds quite interesting. I'm not sure how it will work in VR, but then we made it. And it was actually one of the easiest chapter to make, even though that I had the most doubts about it. So... Uh, yeah, and so it, this is a, a story that's telling your own personal story of depression for many years. And what I found interesting as a VR piece was that it feels like I'm able, through this immersive experience, walk into a symbolic representation of what is happening inside of your body and inside of your mind as you go through these, you know, battling your demons or these different metaphors. And so, yeah, I'd be curious to hear your artistic process of trying to create external spatialized symbolic representation of your inner psyche that then you're sharing to the rest of the world in the context that you're having people watch and then being able to have a conversation with them afterwards. Yes, that was a debate which we had with our psychologist and the team 
around us because there was the idea at the beginning okay it's my personal story I want to share something something I don't want to share that much but in general there was a question is it universal in some way can people relate to that and there was no problem with it at all so our experts told us that the story is very universal that it describes depression as it is very often in many many cases of course everybody's individual so the symptoms can be slightly different but in general it worked and of course there were some parts which are for example not part of the final experience for example uh, some people are asking me about medication regarding depression because i don't mention anything about uh, medication in the piece and it doesn't mean that i somehow want to stigmatize it i think that taking antidepressants is sometimes very very important and it's the good way how you can fix your mind for sometimes i just believe that this is not the only way how to do it you need to also have some milder techniques which will help you to go through your world so in general we tried to create something what's universal but we didn't need to make any bigger changes so it's still very authentic you had mentioned that you were doing voice as either a therapy or a personal practice and so maybe you could talk a bit about how you came to the process of using your voice as a way of either giving some temporary relief or to be able to shift your mood or as a healing practice for yourself i remember one day when i was feeling very bad and it was quite late it was when i was around 30 years old uh, 30 29 or something now i'm 34 and in that moment i decided that i really need to scream out loudly i don't know why and i felt that after that i was feeling so relieved and that the tension went away and i started to think about it like oh wow what happened in that moment and that was the starting point where i was started to think about using voice as my somehow uh, naturally and to have some system in using voice as a therapeutic tool and then i was remembering what i was doing in the past and i came to the fact that i was going to horse racing and that i was yelling there and cheering for the horses and that of course i loved the sport and everything but i also liked it because i was able to scream here without any feelings of embarrassment you know so i was like okay so that's probably one of my ways what i should do and shortly after i started to develop darkening and i started to dig more into that i also found like from the very early when we started with darkening one therapeutic group which is using voice as a therapeutic tool it's actually not that many experts at least in Czech Republic who are specializing on that so it was not easy but now i'm going to visit the group like for more than three years and it's super great yeah so now still today it's my most powerful tool we are having a break during summer with the group so i'm looking forward for september when we will start again Yeah, there's something about being able to go into a symbolic representation of what's happening with you and to see it and then to be instructed to use my voice and then for you to describe what you're experiencing and then for me to compare what you're describing to what I was personally experiencing. I felt like that was a way to watch this experience where there wasn't a lot of other embodied interactions with my body because I'm more of a ghost as I'm watching this as a piece, but 
I felt like it actually helped ground me into my body in a way so that you're able to use the voice as a way of grounding, but also increase my sense of embodied presence as you're relating in it, but also to have a certain amount of empathy for the types of ways that you were getting relief from that and then be able to identify that relief within my own body. So I felt like you're able to use that interaction in a way that actually created a little bit of agency, but also embodiment that connected it deeper to the emotional content of your story. Yeah, definitely. That was one of the intentions, and I'm glad that you took it from it. <laughs> and uh, I think one of the other really striking aspects of your piece is what happens after the piece, which is that you go in and you facilitate an entire conversation and a little bit of a debriefing of what just happened. And so maybe talk about your process of designing this as an offboarding process of what you were aiming to do after you have these strangers watching stuff that's very intimate and vulnerable about your life, and then you're holding space for them to allow them to be vulnerable or to share stuff about their own experiences, to connect their own experiences to what you are providing in your experience. Yeah, the idea was there from the beginning that if I'm able to be as many places as possible where darkening is being shown, so that I want to have these offboarding sessions and to talk with people about the topic. I think that it is one of the biggest challenges so far because, of course, as a filmmaker, you're attending several Q&As, you know, you are answering the questions. But here I decided that I will do it a bit differently, that, of course, I... I'm open for the audience so they can ask me several questions and I'm prepared for even intimate questions, which some of them I will be lucky to answer, some of them I want to keep for myself, which is by the way also like a good thing, like making darkening created this barrier for me of what I want to share and what I don't want to share. And I think that it's important for everybody. You know, it's good to share some things, but it's also good to know the limits. So I know that there are topics which I don't want to speak about, and that's it. But I decided that also it's nice to ask the others how they feel after the experience and how they went through this. And when I'm asking them the question, so some of them are telling me, for example, when I'm asking them, like, how would their personal demon would look like? So they say that they don't know, they haven't thought about it. Somebody's telling me super great things like one lady told me that her personal demon looks like a old white big man who is very grumpy <laughs> somebody says that it looks like nothing you know it's inspiring to see how people are thinking about the same topics as i was thinking and how was i creating this offboarding session was that i want to have some helping tools so we have four cards here which represents some of the characters in our story and these characters can lead us to the questions and this is some kind of a little not game but yeah there is some slightly gaming element in it and so far i have a really good impression from it that people are very open so far even though that i'm telling to everybody if you don't want to share anything you don't have to but all the people are so far very open which i'm quite surprised yeah it's quite a effective offboarding i thought because there was things that come up in a conversation that happens right after watching an experience like this that for me personally just kind of tied it even deeper into the topic of the story because you have it set up so that there's four people that are watching it at the same time and as they're coming out there's four cards with four characters and that it seemed like that you had 
a symbolic representation for what that character meant. And then that would lead to a question that then you would pose to the group. And then you have a group discussion. So I was in a session that got cut off because the boat was about to leave. And so we had to stop. And so I didn't get a chance to hear each of the different four characters. But I'm just curious if you could briefly run through those four characters and those four cards and what the questions that you're posing to people as they go through this offboarding process. Yes. So the four cards are, the first one is the demon and the question connected with him is how would your personal demon look like and what is he doing to you? So there is a space for anybody who would like to more open up and to share some of their troubles so we can share it together. Then the next character is the dog, which uh, represents some hope in our story. And the question connected with him is, what are you doing to feel better in your life when the demon is hunting you? Do you have any particular technique which you are using? Then there is a horse, which is connected with the voice activity in our story. So I'm asking them how they liked the voice control in our experience and what it was doing with their body, with their mind. And the last picture is the silhouette of a boy who represents me in the story. And that's kind of, a, I say, joker card, which gives the audience the opportunity to ask me some questions which they want to know. And that's how we wrap up the session. So, yeah, you, you've been really dedicated to being there and present for the last 15 minutes of this for each of the sessions. And so... It's a unique opportunity in some ways for you to sit down with all the other visitors of Venice Immersive and other creators and people from the industry. And so I'm just curious what that experience has been like for you to come here to Venice. And from the outside, it looks like you have an opportunity to connect really deeply after you share about yourself. People know who you are and you've created the space for them, for you to get to know a little bit about the people. But yeah, I'm just curious what it's been like for you to come here and then have those conversations like that after creating a piece like this. Yeah, it's so far very nice. I was afraid of that, you know, because it's very, it is very personal, it is very intimate. A lot of people are asking me also like the question, is it really your story? I'm like, yes, it is my story. So they don't want to believe it much somehow. And yeah, so, so far it's nice. Of course, it's like the festival is quite long, so we are now still quite at the beginning. So I'm wondering how on the September 10 I will look like after all these sessions. But I really said to myself that I want to be at really most of them. And for me, it's important because the story is not only for me like to create a film, to have some artistic expression. Of course, it's also part of it. But as I say, it's my coming out in this. And I believe to do this coming out properly, I need to talk with people about it. So it has the good effect. So my wish with this is that the next time when I will be talking with somebody about the mental health issues, I will not feel this nervosity, which I was feeling by that now, and that some shield will be created, or maybe not shield, maybe that it will just open something in me that I will not be afraid of it to share it. So that was why I decided to do it. By coming out, do you mean in terms of the mental health taboos around uh, talking about your own mental health issues? Yeah, actually, it's my second coming out, as I said, because the first one was regarding the sexual orientation. And now it's regarding with the mental health issues. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you've been through this before? <laughs> yeah, I was. First coming out was harder, probably, because I was younger. I was around 17 years old and 
it was difficult. Now I'm already older, but I already like came out with it that I'm having depression quite like few years back for my close friends and even in work I shared it with my colleagues. So it's not like that now I'm doing the the coming out from the scratch, but I'm sharing it with people who I don't know at all. So that's the next level. Yeah, and I know that there has been a lot of different taboos around talking about mental health and I'm curious to hear any insights of what's it been like to create a space or context for people to maybe share stuff that they normally wouldn't be able to feel comfortable sharing because it's people watching an immersive experience about what your experiences have been. And I feel like that helps set a context or maybe open some doors to have some conversations that would be a little bit harder to have otherwise. So I feel like there's something about giving people an immersive experience and then following on to have a conversation like that, to take it to a deeper level or to go against a mental health taboo that may be there that might be opening up some doors and spaces to do that. So, yeah, just any reflections on that? I think that that's an important part of it because, as you say, the taboo is there still, even though that there was a lot of progress, I think, during the pandemic time because a lot of people who did not suffer from any mental health issues unfortunately felt it during COVID. So I believe that XR is an interesting new tool how to communicate these topics, that it's not only about funny, crazy, nice games, which are also great, but also that you can communicate this. For the future, we would like to use darkening or maybe some other version of it also for some real therapeutic work, let's say. We were in touch with some psychologists who would be interested in it to have, for example, the helmet in their office and when they are starting with a new person who is going through the therapy so that they could show him the story and that could be like a starting point about speaking about the mental health problems, as I'm doing actually now here with the regular audience who are not like the patients, let's say, or people who are having any troubles. So I think that there are other possibilities how to work with this content. Are there any particular ethical issues to be considering in terms of boundaries or confidentiality? Because, you know, this is a a public performance in a public space. And then, yeah, just curious to hear about like how you navigate any potential downfalls for holding a space like this in a way that could have some opportunities to have boundaries crossed in a context or like it could be information shared that then also shared in a broader context. Yeah, it just feels like there's, it's a great opportunity for people to open up, but also some risks ethically. So I'm just curious what the discussions were around what to look out for and how to prevent transgressions. You know, that was a big issue. Like at the beginning when I asked myself, okay, you are going to open something, maybe you will open the Pandora box for somebody or, you know, something terrible will happen during the Q&As. Of course, I'm having or I was having these ideas but you say it's about risk of course it's about risk but i believe even going into this project was for me risk you know i was okay what will it make with me will it crash my mind you know that i will like share it that i will like recreate it into vr to me it was also a big risk with the other people of course so far what i experienced like for i don't know 40 q a sessions so far so it was very very good and i believe it's maybe about belief that the people when they open up somehow their empathy level rises up very rapidly that it's something like natural that when you open up so then you don't 
create any big tension to the others. What I like. So so far, nothing happened. Anything big, big trouble, and I hope it will not happen. And I, I think it's because that when you open up, that the people will accept it. And of course, like having the feeling that it's risky. Yeah, life is risky. I don't know what the statistics are for the amount of people that on average experience depression, but I imagine that if someone who goes through this experience doesn't personally experience depression, that they're in all likelihood connected to someone who does have issues with depression. And a way that it's able to empathize with your experience, it's also potentially an experience that some people can watch and maybe get a little bit more empathy for people that they're also more directly connected to. And so curious to hear if that's a theme that's come up in conversations yeah definitely because even for my parents it was difficult to understand what I'm living through for my friends so I believe that this experience is mainly for people who don't have some severe depressive problems and it's more like you know giving them the insight and information about that for people who are in some big mental health problems i think that our piece is not the right fit and that's what we also write at the beginning when you run the experience there's a disclaimer that if you don't feel well you should probably not watch darkening at that very moment maybe later i have several friends and people who are having depression as well and they saw darkening but they were not in the depressive episode by the time and it was for them very powerful because they felt that they are not alone in this so that's also next aspect of it like that's why in general group therapies are working because you see that somebody else is having the same issues as you are having and even art is in some way not the group therapy but it's like a tandem therapy where you communicate with the film and it gives you the feeling that you are not alone in it. Yeah, and as a screenwriter, you've been familiar with being able to write for film and the process of using film as a medium to communicate, but I'm wondering what it's been like for you to use VR as a medium to be able to communicate these experiences that you've had and that process of being able to have an experience but be able to communicate that experience without having to use words explicitly. Obviously, you're narrating this piece, so you are using your words, but you're also creating a whole spatial context and experience for people to go through that I think takes your own personal experience and able to allow you to share it with other people in a way that goes beyond what you could share just with even words or even what the film medium can do. I think that the biggest difference was to realize that you are not writing the film and the particular scenes like the screens which you can see in front of you but that you are creating situations so that's like i think that writing a script for vr is more close to write for example theater play because it's also consisted from like that, that you have a scene you have some area where it's happening and you need to think about what the visitor is seeing on the stage and the stage is 360 space around you and that was quite nice you know it was different than writing the classical film but also quite liberating in some way because sometimes you are still in writing the classical film you are let's say you are editor in your head there is this scene then after that this is scene you should you will probably have this uh, you are composing it in your head and in vr you are also composing but in a like really different scale 
and that's sometimes at least for me much easier so that's why i believe that it was quite nice for me yeah one of the other surprising aspects of this piece was the social dimension of watching it with other people because you are using voice interactions and usually when i watch a vr piece i go off into my own world and even if i watched it with a theater of other people which i saw lynette walworth's piece that she had at Sundance. They showed it in the Egyptian theater. I had already seen the VR piece and then I watched it in a theater with like a hundred people. It felt like literally the same of like whether or not the people were there or not. But in this piece, I had a whole sense that there are other people that were present, which is sometimes maybe a little bit self-conscious of like, cause you're asking people to scream at some point. And so like, to what degree are you gonna like go all out and scream? Or it could also create a context where if everybody's screaming, then it could create for some people an opportunity where they feel even more comfortable of screaming. So I feel like it could actually work both ways of helping people be more present to sharing their voice or become more self-conscious. Like it feels like it could go either way. But the piece is also an interactive piece, which means that, you know, as you start to try to have people start and watch the experience at the same time, there's different trigger points that means that things kind of get out of sync. And so people are saying different things at different moments at different times. And so it feels like there's a, a nice aspect to the interactive component, but there's the trade-off of creating a disjunction of the social experience of that, because then people are interacting with this piece at different moments at different time, which then feels like, yeah, I, I wonder if there's a way to make it more synchronized or if you've thought about those trade-offs of maybe limiting the agency so that everybody's on the same synchronized experience versus having it more interactive and having more agency, but having a little bit more disjunction in the social dimensions? Uh, a lot of questions, uh, but uh, yeah, that was for us a very crucial thing, how to think about this. But you know, there was the idea that it would be nice if people are sharing this experience together. In Venice, four people can experience it at once. And as you say, definitely there is a, like technical problematic thing that the people are not 100% synchronized, even though that we are trying to synchronize them as much as possible. But somebody is a bit slower in the interaction, somebody is quicker, so it's not possible to really synchronize them. There could be some points that the people are like, let's say, waiting before each chapter to each other. So technically it would be possible, but then it would be bad for the viewers on the other end that they would need to wait in some black screen or whatever which is not nice and we had a like quite bad feedback on it because we were trying with some longer gaps in between the chapters and so on so yeah so this is the like a not that good aspect but this is the first place where we exhibit darkening so maybe for the future we are also thinking about that we didn't want to use headphones for the users because then they would not hear not only the others or probably they would but like more intensively but they would not hear themselves and that's what very important for the experience that you need to hear your voice so before we came to Venice during the post-production we were trying like several types of headphones which would be good so that they are really like they have a good sound but through them you can hear your voice None of them were good. So we tried, I think, like four types or something. So we decided, okay, let's use just the Oculus speakers because it's going to be the best way. And of course, the people will be distracted slightly by the others, that they are not synchronized. But we believe that the power of the sharing will be stronger. And so far, it seems that it works. But maybe for the next sessions, we will give the option to people 
if they feel really distracted by the others, to give them the headphones, so then they feel better in some way. So maybe we will also play with it more for the next festivals. Yeah, I had some biodynamic open-air headphones, like this version that I'm wearing now, but had an ability to hear outside that. So I think there are headphones that may be higher end that have open air that get sound in, but also hear the environment. But yeah, it's one of the surprising aspects of the experience because normally I'm not worried about what the other people are doing in the experience, but in this experience, it ends up being a bit of a social dynamics that are happening outside of it that I'm kind of hearing and aware of other people going through the experience as well, which I thought was an interesting dimension. So yeah, I guess what's next for this project as you move forward? Like, is it like a festival run or are you gonna start to have an impact campaign or what's your plans for what you do next with this project? So, so far we have a secured premiere in the Czech Republic, which will be by the end of October on one of the festivals, which we can't share for now. But after that, in November, we will move to like a big gallery in Prague. And there are also like, let's say, bigger distribution starts. We will also start the school program there. So people will start to go to the gallery. It will be super interesting. And also I'm a bit scared from that because the model will be different than here in Venice because like 15 kids at once will see it and they will do the voices and everything. So it will be like a big, uh, big mess, I guess. But I still believe it will be good. But we still need to test it. So after we are back in Venice, so we will have a few testing sessions with more people watching Darkening and we want to realize if it's a good way. But probably we will do it like that. And so uh, we are also in touch with National Institute of Mental Health and with O2 company. And together we are running the social impact campaign. And we also hope that we will move to other countries around Europe and we would love to also focus on US in some way because the debate about depression there and mental health issues is I believe on a bit different and higher level than in Europe at least like in between people not necessarily on the scientific level but uh, yes. Do you mean mean that people talk about it more or is a, a bigger issue? I think they are talking more about it and not only like between themselves but also in media so that it's generally more topic which is discussed. So we are also waiting for the North American premiere which we hope that the next, probably next year from the beginning of the next year we will find somewhere. So that will be for us important step for the next distribution. Awesome and uh, and finally what do you think the ultimate potential of virtual reality and immersive storytelling might be and what it might be able to enable. I'm a fan of virtual reality and telling the stories like this through the medium. A lot of people, that's also interesting that I also had one interview with one journalist in Czech Republic and I was, you know, expected for some like too intimate questions. So I was like, okay, okay. But he started asking me about the medium, if it has a potential and if it is like, a good medium and if it's not only like a bubble you know and things like these and i realized that it was even more like <laughs> i was feeling really bad from it even then he would be asking me on some private questions you know so sometimes uh, uh, it's sometimes i feel stupid that i'm like in the industry for i don't know six years where i'm like around vr and i still need to explain to people that okay this is like a new thing but I believe that it will stay here, that it is powerful. 
look at Meta and how they much they are investing, you know, into uh, virtual reality and other companies as well. I don't believe that this is just bubble. But on the other hand, I think that like a classic cinema will stay for sure. It's like with TV and film. Film remained, TV remained. You know, we are just discovering new media, new potentials, and that's great. Awesome. Is there uh, anything else that's left unsaid that you'd like to say to the broader immersive community? Um, I, I just hope specifically that for the Middle and Eastern Europe, because this is like the first time when the Czech project is shown on a A-class festival. So far, the immersive work was not much supported by the state funds and so on in Czech Republic, but I believe that also in a more parts of Eastern Europe. And I hope that, for example, also the fact that Darkening is here and so far is quite successful, as I can see, so that it will encourage other makers from this region to create VR. And a, a quick follow-up on the name of the piece. It, it says Tamani Darkening. How do you pronounce the, the, the original name? The Czech title, it's Tmani, but like we, for the international market, we use only Darkening. So here in Venice, there are showing both titles, but we are pretty fine with darkening. Okay. Awesome. Well, I really enjoy darkening and, like I said, the offboarding process and, you know, being able to hold a space and unpack all the experience and that it's a real intimate, vulnerable exploration. And I think it takes a lot of courage to be able to do that, but also I think it really shows the power of the medium. You know, like I felt like I walked out of that experience having a lot more information and knowledge about the core essence of some of your experiences that you have in your life. And I just appreciated you taking the time to create the experience and to share it here at the festival and to have a chance to talk about it here on the podcast. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you as well. So that was Andre Morbeck. He did the piece called Darkening, which was showing at Venice Immersive 2022. Because I'm going to be uh, publishing these 20 different interviews today from Venice Immersive, I'm not going to be doing my full in-depth takeaways for each of these. I recommend going back into episode 1,121 if you want a, more of a discussion of this piece and others in competition at Venice, as well as uh, if you skip forward to 1,144, that'll be a panel discussion that I had on the art of reviewing immersive art in an immersive entertainment with other film critics and immersive critics discussing the challenges of talking about this type of immersive art, and I have my my own unique take of being able to do these oral history interviews and unpacking with the creators and directors. But I recommend checking out both of those if you want a little bit more context from Venice Immersive and the total of 23 total hours of coverage that I'm doing here of Venice Immersive with this podcast series. So that's all I have for today. And I just wanted to thank you for listening to the Voices of VR podcast. And if you enjoy the podcast, then please do spread the word, tell your friends, and consider becoming a member of the Patreon. This is a listen-supported podcast. And so I do rely upon donations from people like yourself in order to continue to bring you this coverage. So you can become a member and donate today at patreon.com slash Voices of VR. Thanks for listening. 